um, two parables, and all, and this whole chapter takes place as Jesus is traveling from Jerusalem, or I'm sorry, from his hometown, from the area of Galilee, south to Jerusalem. This is likely within a couple weeks of his crucifixion. But these are things that Jesus is teaching his disciples as they travel, as they're journeying. And he begins 18, and from all of chapter 18 and the first part of chapter 19 are very closely connected as I look at them. You look at the first two, and this is something you can do on your own sometime, but look at the first two, the parables that Jesus teaches, and then he follows it with four accounts of interactions or encounters that he has with people. And I think those four encounters drive home the points that he was trying to make in those two parables. Um, So look at that sometimes. But um, the four accounts that Jesus gives, and they're different ways that we approach Jesus. Um, There's different ways that you could call it, but it's something along the lines of a faith that Jesus honors or prayers that Jesus honors. Um, He has the little children come to him in verses 15 to 17, You remember the story how the disciples rebuked them. They tried to turn the children away. And Jesus said, no, don't. Bring them to me because that's what the kingdom of God is like. And then he he encounters the rich young ruler. And I think this is traveling down the road. This guy comes up to him. And we know the story there well. And these stories interconnect with each other. But then we come up to the story of the blind beggar right outside the city gates of Jericho. And then he enters into Jericho, and that's where he meets Zacchaeus. Now, just for the sake of interest, this doesn't have anything to do with my sermon, but you remember the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus told the disciples that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And they were like, well, so what? Who can be saved then? That was their question. And not long after that, he encounters Zacchaeus a wealthy man, a man who had status. He was a chief, or a, a chief tax collector. He was a thief, but he was a very wealthy man. And I think Jesus is saying, look, this is how a rich man enters into heaven. He humbles himself, and he comes to me. So by now you should be in Luke 18 um, and ready. And I want to read verses 35 to, 30, or to 43, and I'm reading from the ESV version. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near to him, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So who was this blind beggar? Matthew and Mark also record this story um, with some variances. Um, if you want to wrestle with some things, go, and go back and look at some of the differences in, in the account um, between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
Um, But one of those is Matthew mentions that there's two blind men. Mark and Luke only mention one. And I think probably they just simply focused on the one who is the loudest, the one who made the most noise. But Mark tells us what tells us what his name was, and you know the story, blind Bartimaeus. It becomes very familiar. We know that name well. And I found it interesting. It says blind Bartimaeus, and he was the son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus actually means son of Timaeus. And there's some, um, some of the Bible dictionaries that I looked at will tell you that son of Timaeus means son of the unclean. So remember that, because there's a, there's a stigma that is carried with being blind. So he was the blind man. His name was Bartimaeus. And you'll remember Jesus healed a blind man in John chapter 9. And one of the stigmas that is carried with being blind is it was always associated with sin. In John 9, when Jesus healed the blind man, the disciples asked Jesus, So who sinned? Was it this guy or was it his parents? And Jesus told him neither of them did. But blindness was associated with sin in someone's life. So he's a man who lives with the shame of his condition. And not only does he live with the stigma of being blind and being a beggar, he also lives with the stigma of being a spiritual outcast. <clears throat> so put yourself in his shoes for a minute, if you will, and imagine you're walking with him. Every day, this blind man would stumble through the streets, jostled by the crowds, trying his best to ignore the sneers and the ridicule of the people. He makes his way to the outside of the city gates, where he goes every day, and he joins other beggars just like himself, the outcasts of society. His dignity is gone. He has been stripped of his identity his value, and his value as a human being. And as he sits beside the street, hoping some passerby will show just a little bit of compassion and drop a coin into his cup so he can buy at least a morsel of food to ease the ache that's in his stomach. But the ache that hurts the most, the ache that follows him everywhere he goes, every day, the ache that no amount of food or money can ever cure, is the ache of being unwanted, unloved, without identity or value, and without purpose. He is an outcast in society. Very much when you look, think about homeless people that we see, what's your picture of them? Maybe they can teach us some things. I think blind Bartimaeus can teach us. And also, I think if we look deep within ourselves, we're no different than the blind beggar. We, like this beggar, have an ache that is deep within our hearts. Every person has it. The cry of every soul is to be wanted and to be loved and to belong. The desire is to be known, to know and to be known. And it's an ache that only Christ can touch. And we know it. We know it's there. And yet we do everything in our power, if we're honest. I think we do everything in our power to bury that and to hide it. We want to look good. So what can we learn from from blind Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, about how we come to Jesus. 
four things, and I'll go through these rather quickly. It shouldn't take long. Number one is we must own our brokenness. Is that hard for you? Is that hard for me? By all means. Think about Bartimaeus. Does Bartimaeus know he's blind? Absolutely. There's no getting away from it. He can't escape it. It's a fact of life. It's right in front of him. It follows him every day, and he cannot get away from from it. He would be a fool to pretend that it has no impact in his life, that it doesn't affect him. So let me ask you, let me ask me, is our brokenness any less obvious or less real? And yet we do our best to hide it. We hide it from each other, for one. And even, I think, if we're honest, we try to hide it from Jesus. Yesterday on Twitter, Larry Kaufman put out a really good quote. This is just part of it. And he said that, I have found that people connect far more with our brokenness than our perceived strengths. So why is it so hard to let that part of ourselves be known? So if Jesus is going to make Bartimaeus whole, if Jesus is going to make us whole, then we must allow him to touch the pain and the brokenness because Jesus will not heal, and he can't heal, but he will not heal what we deny. If we deny its existence in our lives, Jesus can't touch it. Jesus can't heal it. There's a piece of this story that that I really wrestle with. Um, It's that whole idea at the end where it says, your faith has made you whole. And so if he had not had faith, would he not have been made whole? What is faith? What does it look like? Does Jesus always heal when we have faith? I look at Lee's life. What do you do with that? And as I studied this story more and more, I'm becoming, I've become just more and more convinced that healing was much more than just his physical blindness. Every, I think, and I think you can take this to every time that Jesus healed someone, Jesus was much more concerned about and more interested in healing the internal brokenness of the person than he was about the physical brokenness. And yet when we talk about it so often, we only focus on the physical brokenness, the physical healing. And I would suggest this this morning that real faith is faith that trusts Jesus with the pieces of our lives that go much deeper than our circumstances. The, in Jesus, what is, he's interested in healing is the internal brokenness, but he cannot heal it, there again, unless we own it. The second thing that I learned from the blind beggar is he's bold and he's persistent. This is something I struggle with. Being persistent. When you pray and you pray and you pray, and there seems to be silence, How do you persist through it? Think back to the first parable in chapter 18. Is Jesus trying to drive a point home to us in being persistent? But how did the beggar respond, and how did he cry out to Jesus? Back to the story of the beggar. As the beggar finds his spot beside the street, 
There he is, sitting in the dirt, in the dust, covering his clothes. And because of his blindness, he's especially attuned to his other senses, right? That's typical of someone who's blind. Hearing is ratcheted up, very attuned to hearing. And he's always listening to what's going on around him. There's commotion in the streets that he hears, but today it's more than usual. Something important must be happening. And so he calls out, but he calls out to no one in particular, but to anyone who might be listening, and he asks what's going on. Someone mentions that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and his heart skips a beat. He's heard stories about this man, about people being healed, about the lame people walking, about blind people seeing. And he begins to frantically look around or try to figure out where Jesus is. Was he already passed? And suddenly he realizes that this opportunity to meet Jesus would soon be passed. And so in desperation, he jumps to his feet and he begins to cry out. But the only immediate response is what he's so used to hearing. The people tell him to shut up, to stop bothering them. Surely Jesus has more important things to do than to speak with a blind beggar. And his voice begins to falter. Then suddenly the years of pent-up anger, fear, brokenness, mingled with hope that could soon be leaving, comes boiling to the surface, and he will not be turned away. And his voice gains strength, and he cries out louder and louder and louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's come to a place where he's got nothing to lose. So my question then is, why would people try to keep him away? Do we ever find ourselves there? Perhaps his condition seemed, was so shameful and unclean that it brought discomfort and embarrassment to the people who were following him. Did they think they were doing a Jesus a favor by not letting him be, be interrupted? Maybe you are the broken one. Maybe you're the blind beggar who's crying out to Jesus and you're met with resistance. Maybe you're met with silence. Maybe your brokenness will cause some people to squirm. Maybe it'll make them uncomfortable because it touches or brings to light some of their own brokenness. And yet he was bold. He was persistent. And I think... The thing that gave him his boldness and persistence was one word. It was hope. When you and I recognize the hopelessness of our situation, the brokenness that's deep within us, and hope is right in front of us, we will be persistent. We will not be turned away. Then the third thing that I see from the blind beggar is that we appeal to Jesus on the basis of mercy, not merit. Listen to the blind beggar's appeal. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knows he has nothing to offer but his own brokenness. He has no prestige. He has no position. Nothing he can boast about. He doesn't tell Jesus, look, I went to church every Sunday. 
I was never a bad guy. I was never arrested. I never did jail time. I never cheated someone out of their, their money. All he has to offer is his brokenness. He knows he has nothing of his own merit that he can offer. Think back. There's three different times when people pray that exact prayer. And Michael, Michael Card calls this prayer the perfect prayer. The ten lepers, when they cried out to Jesus, what did they say? They cried out for mercy. In the example that Jesus gives us, the parable in the first part of chapter 18, the Pharisee and the tax collector who went to pray, the tax collector stood off to the side and he cried out for mercy. There was no merit in him. So how do you come to Jesus? How do I come to Jesus? Do you come with your accolades, your accomplishments? Maybe not blatantly like the the Pharisee in verses 11 and 12 of, of this chapter. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like these men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this other tax collector, or I'm not like this beggar. I'm not like this homeless guy. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that. We're too smart for that, aren't we? We're not. We're, we're, we're too smooth. We, we're, we know better than that. But do we do that subtly and even subconsciously? We might not outrightly display and boast about how good we are. But how often are we very intentional about hiding how broken we are, lest people see our brokenness and lest Jesus see our brokenness? You see, I believe it's only when we embrace that we, just like this blind beggar, have nothing to offer but our own brokenness. It's that then that we cry out for mercy. It is faith that cries out for mercy that Jesus honors. It is true faith that cries out for what we know, for what it knows it does not deserve. You see, any time you look at the life of the rich young ruler, he wanted a checklist so he can mark off and know exactly what he needed to do. Anytime we think we deserve the goodness of God or the grace of God, we've missed the mark. And we know that, but how often do we actually go there? Then the last point is be very specific. Look again at verses 40 to 42. So Jesus hears this guy crying out, and Jesus stops and commands him to be brought near. First of all, I want you to notice the invitation. Jesus extends that invitation to each one of us. He had a choice. He had a choice to come when Jesus told him to come, or he could have stayed sitting. But when we're desperate, when we see our own mess, and we see the hope that Jesus offers, we will respond. There's also another side, another part that we can play. Maybe there's someone in your life who is broken, who is that blind beggar. Someone came and got him by the arm and brought him to Jesus. Sometimes you and I are the ones that are called to bring the broken to Jesus. And sometimes we're the broken. But I don't think we'll bring anyone else to Jesus who's broken unless we recognize that we're broken ourselves. So the, the beggar comes to Jesus, 
And Jesus asked him a question. What do you want me to do for you? It's like, really? If it wouldn't be Jesus saying it, you'd say it's a dumb question. So, really, what, what do you think, Jesus, that what do you think he wants you to do for him? He's blind. He can't see. Isn't it really obvious to Jesus? I think it is. Jesus knows exactly what he wants. So, why would he ask the question? I think there's different reasons, and sometimes some of these are, are different for each of us. But I think one of the things that I think we learn is Jesus wants us to be very specific in our request. Sometimes we just are very general in what we bring to Jesus, especially when it's our own brokenness and our own sin. We love to just give general, generalizations of it. We don't want to be specific. I think Jesus is calling him to be specific and calling us, be specific with your brokenness. <clears throat> Another reason, I think, is when we ask for something, we admit that we have a need. Um, I had to think of, think of a story in my own life. Asking or admitting or asking for a need is incredibly hard for me. I hope I'm not the only one. But that's something that Jesus, as God's been really putting a finger on in my life, is knowing what I need and being willing to ask. Because when I ask for what I need, it, it means I, don't, I can't cure it myself. I have a need that only you can fulfill or only Jesus can fulfill. Sometimes, some of you, might, that might be easier for than others, but when we, we admit that we have a need. But another reason I think that's so important that we give words to our brokenness is when we verbalize it, we bring it to light. And it's only when we bring our brokenness, when we bring our pain and all our, all our, whatever we're facing, when we bring it to light and we put words to it, it's only then that it can be healed not in general terms, but in very specific terms. And notice Jesus' response. When we come to him in all of our brokenness, knowing that's the only thing that we have to bring, we're bold, we're persistent, because we believe that he can heal. He's the only one who can heal that cry in our hearts. And we make our appeal from mercy not from merit. And we're very specific with what we need from Jesus. His response is always compassion. It's always compassion. It's always healing. And you look at, I look at the, the phrase there in verse 42, when Jesus told him, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. The word made you well, that phrase right there is the exact same word that the disciples used back in verse 26 when they asked Jesus, so who can be saved? And that's why I'm so convinced that Jesus was much more healed, much more than just his blindness. Jesus healed his spiritual condition, the deepest ache, the deepest cry of his heart. Jesus met right there, and I think he's, he always does that. 
So this morning, I don't know what Jesus wants to touch in your life. I don't know what he wants to touch in your life. But one thing I do know and one thing I'm convinced of is that we're all messed up. We're all broken. Not one of us here has anything of merit that we can bring to Jesus. The only thing that we have that we can bring to Jesus is our brokenness. And we need to own it. And so it's in our hands. We can allow Jesus to walk by and we can remain silent. Or we can cry out for mercy like the beggar did. He is not going to force his way into your life. He's not going to force his way into my life. But he invites us. He invites you to come. He invites you to bring it. All of it. Not just some of it. Not most of it. But all of it. It doesn't have to be pretty. Jesus wants all of our brokenness. And as we bring that to him, you will be healed. He will heal that in your life. So own it. Be persistent. Appeal for mercy. And tell Jesus exactly what you need. He listens. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus listens to. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus honors. All right, I would invite you to stand. We'll have prayer. The worship team will make their way forward. Thanks for your attention. Um, we also do just want to mention we do have a, a meal prepared back here. Everyone is welcome to stay. We'd love to have you stay and fellowship with us. So let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you, God, this morning that you care. Thank you that you are a safe place. You, you, we can bring all of ourselves, all of our brokenness. You invite us to bring it to you. And so we do that this morning. We don't hold anything back. We just give it all to you and bring healing to those places in our hearts that need healing and we thank you that you are the ultimate healer. Thank you for the grace that you give to us. Lord, we thank you also for the fellowship that we can enjoy around a meal here at lunchtime. I pray you bless the food to our bodies, nourish it, help us to nourish our bodies. And may we go out through this week strengthened and encouraged to bring people to you and to let your light shine through us. In your name we pray, amen.